welcome everyone. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, you can download the Bible app on your phone or you could probably even just search uh, online. There are loads of Bibles on the internet that you can freely scroll to uh, and find Philippians, which is a, towards uh, the end of your New Testament. We're going to read a few verses from there in a moment or two. We've been working through the Apostles' Creed together as a church through the last uh, little while, and the Apostles' Creed is an ancient statement of belief that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries, that in a few short sentences just sums up what we believe uh, as followers of Jesus, the claims that we make about who God is and what he's like and what he's done for us. And one of the reasons we've been doing that in this season is because we believe that the most important thing for you is to know who God is. Particularly in a season like this when there's so much going on in the world around us and we're searching all the time for new information about what's happening, what the future holds, how life's going to pan out. But actually what's more important than that is not what's happening in the world, but what, who God is and what he's doing and the plan he has for our lives and for his church. And the Apostles' Creed is a great way for us to learn and go deeper into God together. So wherever you're watching this, if you want to find uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, and if you want to uh, uh, read those together, uh, and then maybe pray, uh, and then we can come back together. So why don't you just press pause on your video now, uh, and then we'll come back together in a moment or two. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, the creed so far, as we've been working through it over the past few weeks, has been... Uh, looking back on the, the history of Jesus' life, talking about his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his descent, his resurrection. Uh, it's been very much looking at the history, the past of what, was, what happened to Jesus. But the story of who Jesus is, is uh, Jesus is he's more than just a historical character, a figure from the past. As we'll learn in coming weeks, there's a future to Jesus' ministry, of Jesus returning to rescue his bride, to take his church home with him. But even this whole history of Jesus' life is more than just history here. The theologian Cole Barth said this, he said it this story of Jesus' life, this history is the background and the secret reality of all humankind. It's closer to me than the veriest events of my own life. Now, why is that? Why is it so important? Well, you see, sometimes people will say that the story of Jesus and his life is the greatest story ever told. But I think you could say even grander things than that. That the story of Jesus' 
Life, death, resurrection is the pivotal moment in all of history. It's the moment upon which history, like a door, hinges on itself. And all of our own personal histories, all our own stories, really end up getting wrapped up in his story of who he is and what he's done for us. And without his story, all of our stories kind of become a bit meaningless and void and and empty. Because so often we can get caught up in the history of the world, the history of our own lives, the progressive history of where humanity has come from and where it's going to. But really our lives are summed up, located, fulfilled in him, in his history, in his story. It talks about the ascended Jesus in Ephesians 1, being far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. History is so often about events, it's about rulers and dominions, but Jesus is above them all. He's the grander, greater story, the greater history that all our lives called up into and the creed what we the the section of the creed we're focusing on this too on this week that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven that he's seated at the right hand of the father the wonderful story of Jesus ascension it really this the creed steps into where it's been in the past it steps into into present tense that Jesus is seated right now. The risen King Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And all of us are caught up into this living history, the only history, the, the only story that really matters. Now, what does this mean, Jesus' ascension, the fact that Jesus has been exalted? What does this mean? In Mark 16, Mark comments that uh, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And that tells us, first of all, that Jesus is seated. One of the reasons he's seated is because his salvation work is done. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. So he's seated now. His mission, his mission of redemption, of rescue for us is completed. It's, it's done now. And his ascension, his exaltion to heaven is, is, is like a vindication, a proof of his divine identity, that everything Jesus claimed about himself is true. And everything he did, his work of redemption, of saving us was effective. It's He's done it for us. You know, a dead saviour is no saviour at all. But our saviour is alive, seated on the throne in heaven. And more wonderfully than that, Jesus is, there's, there's a man in heaven. A human man, flesh and blood. Jesus Christ, just like us. See, Jesus didn't, on his ascension, just kind of throw off human flesh and just become this ghost-like, wispy spirit that kind of soared into the sky. 
But Jesus right now in heaven is... He, Jesus uh, lived a life in this human flesh, this human frailty. He lived just like, like us and he's taken that body with him into, into heaven. Sometimes we can get caught up in this like, kind of Gnostic, I guess, belief that somehow our bodies are evil and impure and, uh, and we need to get rid of them and become true spirit beings. Well, that's not what Jesus has done. Jesus came to redeem our fallen, broken bodies. And now, right now, he's in heaven as uh, our, our great head of all humanity. And he's there in a position of honor. It says in Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is sitting there on his throne ruling over his creation. Psalm 24 says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And it goes on to say, the king of glory. That's who Jesus is. He's this king of glory, seated in this place of honor and prestige at the right hand of the Father, higher than any other name, the name above all names. And he's there in this kingly triumph. Psalm 68 says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Jesus sits there as a victor. Like a, a great Roman emperor would go away and conquer nations and then he'd come back to Rome and lead this grand procession with all his captives, all his gifts and prizes and winnings behind him. And the whole city would cheer and celebrate. Jesus has led his captives and he's received his gifts as this great king who's won this mighty victory for us seated at the right hand of the father in heaven and an important question is what is what's jesus doing there this ascended risen lord jesus seated at the right hand of the father what's he what's the ascended lord jesus doing there well he's not just in glory he's not just exalted he's he's still at work his salvation work is is done that's completed but Jesus is still working out the benefits the blessings of that into our lives he's not just sitting there passively it's not that Jesus is on Netflix just watching Michael Jordan documentaries Jesus is at work for his people firstly he's our king. He's ruling over all of his creation. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is upholding the whole of the universe by the word of his power. I don't know if you've ever been to Dam Dam Square in the center of Amsterdam and you've looked at the royal palace and on top and actually inside in the grand hall is a giant statue of the Greek god Atlas carrying uh, the universe, this globe representing all the heavens and all the stars. He's carrying it on his shoulders and he looks quite way down by the, by the thing. 
And Atlas represented the, the great Greek god who carried the whole universe. And yet it says that Jesus is upholding the whole universe by the word of his power. It's not a mighty weight that's crushing him down, but he's upholding it. All the different tiny intricacies of our creation, the world we live in, to the grand stars and planets and moons, he's upholding it all. He's holding it all together. Also, Jesus is he's preparing a place for us. Jesus, in conversation with his disciples in John chapter 14, he tells them that one day he's going to leave them to go to heaven and prepare a place for them. Like a, a husband making the eternal home ready for his bride, the church. That's what Jesus is doing. He's readying his home for the church, his bride, to arrive. He's getting ready the wedding supper of the Lamb, as it talks about in Revelation, for us all to enjoy. He's preparing this great banquet for us as believers to come and enjoy. This banquet of his, of his love, his joy, his presence, of being with him forever. He's also there in heaven as a, as a priest, as our, as our great high priest, our, our mediator. He's before the Father on our behalf, it talks about in Hebrews 9. He's administering all the benefits, all the blessings of his salvation. He's loving, he's caring for his church. He's giving gifts to his church. It talks about in Ephesians 4 of all these different spiritual gifts, the charismata, grace gifts he gives to the church, gifts of administration, of gifts of help, gifts of teaching, gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge. In Ephesians 4, it talks about gifts of pastoring and evangelism and apostles. He's given them as gifts to the church. It's one of the things he's doing right now. He's blessing the church with gifts. He's giving people like me, like us, like you, he's giving you gifts, sovereign, divine skills and abilities so you can build up his church. That's what he's doing right now. Maybe even for some of you today watching this, he wants to give you fresh gifts, fresh, fresh uh, 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 skills in a, in a sense, godly abilities to serve him, to bless him, to help build and love and, and build up his great, wonderful bride, his church. He's building his church, even now, even a season where it feels like the church has had to go underground, where the church feels scattered and it, we can worry about what the effects are. We needn't worry because Jesus is at work. You can't stop Jesus' plans for his bride, his church. And one of the most, perhaps one of the most wonderful, intimate things that Jesus is doing in heaven right now is he's praying for us. He's praying for us. He's praying for you. It says in Hebrews 7 that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It talks about in Romans 8, it says, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 
He's praying for us. And I don't mean he's, he's before the fight. He's, he's not before an angry God trying to placate him on our behalf. The salvation work is done. We've now received his righteousness. But he's before the Father calling down blessings on us. He sees you in your need, in your difficulty, and he's blessing you with all the gifts of heaven that you need. He's praying for you. I remember my granddad telling a story of his, his first wife died of cancer uh, not long after my mum got married. And uh, he was, as you can imagine, he was heartbroken. He was distraught. And uh, he would wake up every day to pray and read his Bible and to try and draw near to God. And, but every time he tried to pray, he would just weep. He'd sob, he'd cry. He couldn't, he couldn't get any words out of his mouth because the grief, the, the mourning was so painful for him. And he was reminded of these verses about Jesus interceding for us. So what he learned how to do was he would, through the tears and the weeping, he would very simply pray, Jesus, pray for me. And that was all the words he could get out. Jesus, pray for me. But I tell you what, there's not a more profound and beautiful thing that you can pray in the most dire situations of need and pain. When you've got no words to but you can't get the words out. You can't even begin to express what you're going through. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, walking through a really, really hard season of his life. And he, he was really struggling to even just explain, to even describe what was going on, to even find the words. He wasn't able to do that. But with God, we can come and say, Jesus, pray for me. And know that we have... That's what he's doing right now. He's praying for us. So what does, what does all of this mean for us? Well, I, I hope, it talks about in Hebrews 6, that Jesus' ascension is, is a sure and steadfast anchor to our souls. And I hope these truths become like that for you, uh, an anchor, like a, something that holds you in place, gives you hope, a security in him. Because we know, we know now that he's ruling over all things, that that's what he's doing in heaven right now, is he's on his throne and he's ruling over all things. He's completely in charge in every tiny centimeter of his creation. He's in charge of it all. Now, that doesn't mean as believers that we adopt a, a kind of a quietism. By that, I mean that we just disengage from the world, that we just live in a, in a holy Christian huddle and think, well, Jesus is in charge of everything, so we don't need to do anything. But it means as his church, we get to go out into our city, into the world around us, and we get to build a, a better history for our city. We get to tell a better story to our city. We get to confront the fears and the doubts and the worries and say, there's a, there's a better way to live. There's a better God, there's a better friend who loves you, who cares for you, 
who wants to delight in you, wants you to, to know him. We can deal with the injustices and the pain and the heartache in our world. We can bring godly solutions to pull people out of poverty and of danger. We can help go about God's work of rescue and redemption because he uses us. He uses his church to fulfill his plan, to fulfill his rulership, his kingship over all creation. That's what we're here for, to work that out. And also, we can have this sure and steadfast anchor for us because we know where, where he is now, where Jesus is right now, one day for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be. Because he's gone to prepare a place for you so that one day he can uh, take us home to be with him. He's prepared a place for us. He's preparing it right now. That can give us such great confidence that one day the pain, the suffering, the hardship will be over. We'll get to enjoy him forever. And also we can know right now that we have union with God. We have union with the risen Lord Jesus. Let me finish with these verses from Colossians chapter 3. It says this, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Wonderful truth that right now our lives are hidden with Christ in God, seated at the right hand of the Father. See, even in the when we can get caught up in the story, the history of our own lives, or the history that's being written all around us, we forget that actually we're all wrapped up into his history, into his story. That to be a follower of Jesus means you're hidden in him. That you've died and been raised with him. That we're now in Christ. That means what is true of him is now true of you. You've been made righteous, not because of anything you've done but you've been made holy because of his perfect holiness, that you're now known as a, a friend of God, as a co-heir of Christ, that your life is hidden with Christ on high, and that's where the real you is now, hidden in Christ. Sometimes we get caught up, and as Christians we can get confused, because we can hear these wonderful truths, and we can look at the, what seems to be the reality of our lives, and it doesn't make sense. But actually what's really true, the real history that's been written, that's important, is that your life is hidden now with Christ in God. That he's won you to himself and he's pulled you right into him. Let me close in prayer and I'm going to hand over to the band who are going to lead us in a song of worship. Jesus, we want to thank you today that you're risen and that you're ascended. Sometimes this forgotten doctrine of Christianity is 
such a wonderful truth that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, that you're ruling over all of your creation, that you're seated because you've finished your salvation work. And that we know now that you're before the Father, interceding for us, praying for us. What beautiful truth. But now our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We've been raised with you. That What's really true about us is where you're seated right now. And we get to enjoy this perfect relationship with you. And we've not earned it or deserved it or merited it, but by your wonderful grace, your love poured out for us, your wonderful sacrifice for us, we've been forgiven, redeemed, and called to be part of the family of God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. I pray right now you would make this truth come alive in people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.